Blue. Sorry about that. I got a little confused with the sound. No, no worries. Um, I'm here with Isha. Uh, it's uh, at Isha Legal on Twitter. And I'm so glad that you agreed to come on. Are we live? Um, I'm. Re- it's recording. Okay. Yes. Um, well, thank hoping... you for having me. Yeah. I was a big fan of your TikTok, and I really support your mission. And I have a theory that truckers are the new American vanguard. <laughs> I can only hope so. I mean, not maybe not the truckers I work with, but no, we, uh... you as a class have to be the vanguard because you are the ones who have access to both sides. You can drive into the cities, mm-hmm. you go all over the country, you meet random people in rest stops. Mm-hmm. You are able to um, smuggle propaganda out of the eyes of, of the state apparatus and you can help revolutionize people um because of the way your job works in my opinion the the logistical factor of the nature of our our work being everywhere and holding all uh all products and everything exactly Mm -hmm. well i'm i'm so happy you joined um i was hoping you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself okay where do we begin um I have, okay, so I was involved in a little bit of pilot. I I started uh, as a lawyer, but then uh, they started to make me do lobbying and that made, grossed me out. So I started, uh, I started to look for other things and along came Bernie. And um, after the first campaign, I worked on another campaign in South Carolina where I was very impressed by how the power of history in helping um, de-radicalize or making people less racist. Uh, 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 Mal, like, you remember when Trump called Haiti, uh, are we allowed to use? Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Okay. A shithole country? You're, yeah. um, you're just quoting the president. I know, but I don't know if you get dinged on your radio. Or... Yeah, no, it, okay. it, it'll be fine. Um, and most Democrats were like, Haiti was not that bad of a place, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But with Mal Hyman, he got like righteous anger. He's like, God damn it. Yes, they are shithole countries. And that's because we went there like and mm-hmm. created like a race war. And then we went to El- San mm-hmm. Salvador and we literally had a saying that be a, cap- be a patriot, kill a priest. And we murdered like 500,000 villagers and whatnot. And mm-hmm. the really strange thing is that when he had that righteous anger, The very next week, we got two former Trump supporters who were like, oh, my, I didn't know. And they started volunteering with Mal. And eventually, um, that inspired me to start my podcast. And with my podcast, somehow it just took off really well. I got some wonderful signal boost from uh, Julian Assange, (laughs) believe it or not. Excellent. Um, a great recommendations. It was, and people really like it. So here I am doing my podcast full time. I'm also um, hoping, I guess, to write some more or write books or something like that okay. in order to um, help people know more about the world. I guess that's yeah, my to, um, 
to counter the red scare propaganda that's still prevalent today. Well, for me, I say um, my goals for the podcast is high. I hoped one day I'm able to go to any cafe in America and have a semi-intelligent conversation with semi-literate people. Oh, <laughs> that's a brilliant goal. I like that. Yeah, so that's the goal of my podcast. Excellent. And your podcast is historic. Lee. Historically, so go to historically. That h i s t o r, histor, i c l y. dot substack. dot com. Fantastic, and you you um you also do a YouTube show. Yep, called Late Nights with Lenin. It all started when I kept on telling people when people were talking about ridiculous things about like democratic strategy and electing a hundred AOCs and revolution. I was like, read Lenin, read Lenin, read Lenin. And then one day on Katie Helper's show, I asked, why don't you guys read Lenin? And somebody said that we need you to spoon feed it and read it to me. And I said, all right. And so it began. <laughs> and so, so you did. What yeah. Writings that draws you to him so much. He's hilarious. Um, he's, uh, he, he's like, the first thing I realized is he's just hilarious. He's always relevant. He's always right. Mm -hmm. um, and he can explain things in a way. Well, the people he was writing for were people who were not yet literate. So he can explain things in ways no one else can. For example, he uses a lot of food analogies. Um, he was the first to use mayo as an insult. <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I, and with those, like, you kind of understand what's going on. Um, it's easy to catch on. Even 100 years later, we still understand what, like, salmon tastes like and what, what like, putrefied salmon. You know what I mean? When you read yeah. his piece, you're like, ah. So he makes a lot of concepts easier. The best thing is that when you're reading Lenin, you learn how to read critically because we, we – Every piece, he looks at some stupid thing like the Thomas Friedman's of Tsarist Russia wrote. Okay. And yeah, he goes line by line and explains why this is stupid. And that, like, after reading 10 or 15 times, you can't read a New York Times article without thinking uh, about Lenin. Without yes. Lenin in your ear whispering, like, uh, okay, this is wrong. This is factually incorrect. This, this, this. Yeah. And so he makes you smarter. He makes, um, and I, and, um, yeah, and he has a really great personality. He is a really good guy. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I sound like... <laughs> no, it's great. No, I, I agree. I find um, his his work has just as much relevance today as it did 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, for me, this is what I tell people. Like, a lot of Americans, they... It, it doesn't take much because reality, like there's only so much propaganda can interfere with reality. Reality, like for most Americans, like learning like how evil the uh, world is, like how horrible the government is, all the evils, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. It's not that much. Like a lot, most people, kind of, they've gotten through that block. Mm -hmm. But so, unfortunately, many people, I liken them to um, orphaned children who are like living in like a like a like Oliver Twist novel where they're like, uh, 
and, and so they're like, we have to just fend for ourselves because we're all orphans. And then when you see somebody who is like Lenin or Mao, where they're actually good people, where they help the ordinary man, mm-hmm. it's, a lot of them feel like, oh my God, these are my long lost parents. And so they learn to expect more from the government and better for like, if the government is a parent, Americans are used to having bad daddies who are deadbeats who beat their yeah. children. Um, but they're not used to having a good daddy. So they then learn to increase their expectations of their own government. Like, mm-hmm. for example, um, the U.S. government, uh, like, you know, all the nonsense, like they claim that, oh, this is not practical. Why not? Mm-hmm. Because the U.S. government is a state organ of the bourgeoisie. And th- these were the same exact arguments that the czarist government used and Lenin debunked it. And so they teach you. So it's almost like teaching you to how a, a way to make your parents better, I guess. That's a weird yeah. analogy. Sorry. No, that, that, no that, 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 makes, that makes complete sense. <laughs> um, well, I, 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 I have a short list of um, arguments I get all the time. Okay. On, on uh in the comment sections and everything <laughs> uh just reactionaries About- initial concepts of what they think communism is and okay. i was hoping that we could go through a few and you That's could give my your favorite thing to, to do <laughs> you could give it's me like, it's, 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 I, I use it to relax usually like i go through um anarchist like i i dunk on anarchists when i'm stressed because mm-hmm. it helps me relax <laughs> but i you, you i can but the far like like i actually have a much easier time convincing oh, any yeah, exactly. person in the far right than uh like it's just like a five minute thing because we don't fundamentally disagree on much you're like okay you're like stalin killed uh, he, they're like Stalin killed five million people. I'm like, yep, yeah, but they, he, they were all Nazis, and I think killing Nazis yeah, is good. So... The end. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's one of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Starting off, uh, I'm often told that communism will pool all authority to a handful of people, or to a singular dictator. Okay. How, how would you how would you counter that? I would teach them about how the government works. And so the first thing is I would explain to them the concept of democratic centralism. Lenin has a piece on that. And then I would go through the structure of the Soviet parliament or the Chinese government or the North Korean, like it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I will, then I would uh, walk them through on all the choke points. For example, in, um, the let's see okay uh let's just take um the north korean uh government for example they have a provision where you can recall your parliamentary members at any time you want to if they are not serving you as a people like they have a uh, they have a fiduciary duty to serve you the people um that doesn't exist there um and uh, let's see Another thing is that what you have to remember is that from the, okay, the per, even as Marxists, the purpose of the government is to oppress one class over another. And mm-hmm. so you have to remember that a lot of these things where it says it's a, like a single dictator, it comes from the point of view of the bourgeoisie. So... Mm-hmm. For example, yeah. if a coal mining company says, hey, can you give us some permits to use child labor? 
guess what Hillary Clinton or no it was it was what was it it was child soldiers in Sudan okay yeah she's like yeah totally here have some um uh, exemptions for having child soldiers um well it will uh, 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 when they try when, when they tried to do that with Lenin they like they got thrown out of the office um and then when um this is a really funny story I don't know if this is uh, I, I can't 100% verify this, but yeah, so I feel, okay. But I'm sure some things like this has happened. So apparently there was a executive of an American company in the Soviet Union trying to do business. And he like uh, did some like, uh, like some oopsies, like, I don't know. He, 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 he did, he, he, he broke the law in like some petty thing, like having to do with like, uh, like the, like, like, breaking a lot whatever whatever it was like he broke some stupid law well he okay. tried to bribe his way but the thing was that most of the police were illiterate peasants and they're like screw you we don't like they were used to this and it's like it's our country now you don't run this yeah. you can't bribe it we're gonna like now we're gonna arrest you and nothing and that so a lot of times when they say there's so much bureaucracy what the bourgeoisie mean is that Oh, I can't bribe a judge. I can't lobby a congressman. So for them, yes, it feels like, oh my God, I'm under the dictatorship and I have mm -hmm. to, I can't have an exemption for slaves. Oh my yeah. God, we can't have child minor minors working in chi child minors any, uh, anymore. Mm -hmm. Because like Lenin on the first day was like, boom, no more children like working in under the age of 16 working anywhere. Uh, if you do, uh, we're gonna send you straight to jail. We're gonna send the owner of the factory straight to jail, and um, that meant that the owner had because they couldn't like pawn it on an inferior. Like the, yeah. they had to make sure. And so th this is what they mean by a Red dictatorship: tape. is that it's literally a dictatorship of the proletariat over the bourgeoisie. Yeah, yeah. and so um, American newspapers, American uh, often just imbibe the point of view of the bourgeoisie uh -huh. and because of that they don't people don't even realize that yes for the uh for the fascist or for the czarist official who's used to a lot of privilege or for the automotive executive or the coal mining company it is a dictatorship in that you uh can't get away with everything you get away here and you have to it's like what bane says um it's like they are thrust into the cold dark world that we are forced to endure like that's, that's what yeah happens. that's um bane. that's 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 one of the um arguments i like to make is that when people argue that <clears throat> that owners take all this risk when they run a business yep. and my, my argument is the only risk that they take is becoming a worker like us. Not even that. I mean, if yeah, they're I mean, if really, they're... really not even that, but that's, that's the risk that they're made out to take. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just, I, I just called, call up that. I and mean, there's no, risk. I mean, that's just like, yeah. that person has no understanding of economics and he's just repeating things like as almost like, mm -hmm. a, like I will, I would not even, engage in this risk thing nonsense um, <laughs> um okay another one i get is if let me see you can't freely speak against your government and uh, your communism uh 
okay there are two things about this mm-hmm. where did you get this idea from have you not seen any of those like <laughs> bolshevik like all these like yeah. uh, actually stalin had a complaint okay stalin actually had a complaints bureau where you could like go complain about everything and so the funny thing is that when you spoke against your government your government actually changed it ways so that it irritated you less um in that is so much more powerful but mm-hmm. on top of it what they probably mean is that i can't say hi hitler yep. um <laughs> and i'm like screw you you can't say hi hitler yeah <laughs> now there's a a lot of confusion um among people about personal versus private property under okay. communism so um what can you ask uh like what do they need to know i guess um i i, I get a lot of well your your home doesn't belong to you or your your no, your home is effects oh, no, no your home really... is fine if you have one home what mm-hmm. happened back then was that the um monasteries owned like half the land in russia and the czar had 5000 palaces um and in fact if you read even gulag archipelago that like they, they talk about how of all these bourgeoisie like got uh, ha- had all these pa- uh, palaces confiscated and they only had to live with one which is like oh no one palace um <laughs> that's, that's the funniest one is i was watching this video of these like tibetan victims of communism and this yeah. lady was like um oh my god ma was so oppressive we used to have a whole flock of sheep but they only left 16 or 17 for us and i'm like wait i thought <laughs> 15 or 16 16 or 17 sounds like a flock to me if i were to see that yeah you know what i mean yeah that looks like a flock <laughs> what are to you going to do but i, I imagine how many sheep she needs to have just to be upset that it's mm-hmm. only so what you realize is um when they talk about the property stuff it's a lot of fascist it's a lot of like princes crying about how many palaces they lost um and they, in fact in the soviet union not only did everyone have a home but about for like 3 weeks a year or whatever your vacation days were you got to go about, to this thing called a dasha which is like a resort where you got like for normal people where you got to like relax have piña colada or whatever the russian equivalent of piña colada is on the beach and um so you actually ended up having more use of property i also asked people to like read my well i had this guy simon farley who wrote this thing about the history of property on my podcast called the tragedy of private property So what you think of property right now is there because Winston Churchill's um incestuous relatives wanted to profit from grazing more sheep. Even America and England did not have the same concept of property. So there was this like a common land like read that article and you'll see. So um also yeah so the definition of property also changes as we know even from America like who was property here versus who what You know what I mean? So in in all this like you have to break them down and you can't just address property. You have to ask them what do you mean by property? What is property? How is it defined? Which government gets to define it? And when you break those like 
things down, you realize that um, it's mostly people <laughs> crying yeah. about Stalin took away my palaces. Yeah, I, I got a I got a comment the other day um, from uh, a Cuban immigre that <laughs> their 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 parents left and the government stole all their jewelry. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I the worst. Actually, I got one comment where somebody was talking about how Stalin oppressed them, and he said Stalin took six centuries of family heirlooms and put them in a museum. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. That's Oy. Yeah. I, I, I was like, so you were a Roman? <laughs> I don't know. Like, It's like they put things that are historical value in a museum. It sounds like the opposite of oppression. Yeah. Okay. Um, Another one I get are that people are too lazy or greedy for communism. How would you argue against that? Uh, what do you mean? Which people? Because it seems like like if people are greedy, should shouldn't we have a system that regulates them and punishes them for their greed, as opposed to let them like? So if people are greedy, I would say that means we need more communism because they we need to like crack the whip on their greediness. And imagine mm. if like um if like you know how like it, it, what do you call it? It's like an experiment with like uh, with some like somebody reaches toward like an electric shock experiment on the mice. So of course, for those greedy people, they need to get like whipped over and over so that they don't that they can get um what do you call it trained not to be Corrected. so greedy. Um, yeah. As for lazy, what on earth are you talking about? Who's lazy? Yep. The poor are not <laughs> lazy. For example, most people who supported communism like were are like child miners who work in Congo since the age of three from like yeah. five a.m. to midnight. So. The lazy person is the person who is earning other people's income. So I would also teach them about the labor theory of value mm -hmm. and how basically um, most people are sponging off of child slaves in Congo. Most people in the United States even. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't say it any better myself. Um, I often just say that people, people aren't inherently greedy or lazy. But people we, want to work they they just want their labor to go to mean something but we and, don't know and, how people like i do for me it's often i just don't rather not engage in yeah metaphysical yeah, arguments yeah. about the nature of man because no one has any yeah, idea yeah and it's, it's it's just ridiculous to begin with but but you're right the way you the way you framed greed is is, is kind of brilliant i just argue that <laughs> that there's there's nothing greedy about wanting the whole value of your labor. Well, yeah. I mean, there's nothing, it's not even the whole value. They want to be able to, like in Congo, I read even today, there are child slaves at the age of three. I think mm -hmm. three-year-olds should be like, they, people should be able to have food and have their kids not be slaves. I mean, like yeah. that's the, like, that's the kind of perspective that most Americans can't even think of when they when they're like see when, when they say something about greed or whatever with communists they are not thinking about they're thinking about it from the petty bourgeoisie point of view and not the way reality is 
Like not about those Mika miners in India that are like five years old and are like digging through or uh, I mean, the millions and uh, everyone in I mean, there are like so many, like most of the world, even today, like yeah. Afghanistan are basically yeah, a little more than slaves. Essentially, the entirety of the world is is struggling compared to how we see it from from the United States. Yep. That's because they need death squad members and they can't like have you go murder everything that moves um, if you don't get some of the benefits. Um, another one I get is that it looks good on paper, but not in reality. Wrong. Um, okay. So I, I, if you want, I can show, uh, I usually show them the picture of people being used as cattle in Zarastrasha, anything, like before, after anything. Mm -hmm. For example, the life expectancy in Zarastrasha was age 32. Um, in the Soviet Union, it <coughs> shot up to um, 60 something. In China, uh, oh, in Tibet, the life expectancy was 35. The literacy rate was 99% was illiterate in Tibet. And today it shot up. Um, the communism actually works super well because, and that's why you can you can be propagandized into thinking that communism doesn't work well because you lose your perspective. So when you look at China from the 1950s, you should be thinking something like Congo, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, not China now. Um, so what happens is that people don't understand that that like the way for non-imperial countries to have like a decent living like the only way is communism look at vietnam uh look at the uh, there's a video i can show you where saigon was this like whole like all these people were living in garbage dumps and today it's so beautiful um yeah so because communism worked so well and um, we have a historic, we are not good at thinking in a historical way. We just kind of assume that hunger, like all these communist countries in the past uh, looked like they did in the present. And no, they didn't. They look like dysutopian hellscapes, like they were like warlord centrals. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Fantastic. Um, could you speak on gulags and that? I would say read Gulag Archipelago very slowly and carefully because <laughs> anytime somebody says that they don't they have not read it so um okay so I I uh I don't know what more to say other than you it was a good way to keep Nazis away from colluding with other Nazis in Europe by like pushing them over east where there are no Nazis um <laughs> And um, versus the U.S. prison system. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. What is the, okay in the U.S. prison? Let's look at first. Let's look at the class character of who's in prison in the U.S. prison system. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of black people. We have poverty crimes. Um, listen to one of my episodes with Alec Alec K about the prison bureaucracy, where like these sixty-seven people in Mississippi were all chained together and sent to prison because they were too poor to pay fines. So you're basically having crimes of poverty. Uh, who's not going to prison? Henry Kissinger, war crimes. Uh, mm -hmm. Executives who, um, like, who did the, the Dow Chemicals, who did the Bhopal, they were not going to. But you know who went to the gulags? Let's see, fascists. Um, so the, the, there was this, like, mining company person who was negligent that, like, this mine blew up and killed about 100 workers. He went to the gulag. Mm -hmm. um, and so just a class character 
makes it and i mean like the crimes these people committed for going to the gulags is like killing everything in the village uh um uh, uh literally like it, it's mind-blowing everything they uh, they got away with i guess um so there's mm-hmm. like literally no comparison is that there's a different like in the u.s you are imprisoning poor people people who are minorities people who've been historically enslaved there, you are enslaving war criminals, fascists, czars, and uh, uh, corporate executives who deserve to be in, in, in jail, I guess. No, I, I agree fully. Um, on the effects of the collapse of the Soviet Union on the population and the ramifications the, of it on normal people. Okay, let's, uh, l- let me start with the one that's most personally affected me. Okay. Okay. A few weeks after the Soviet Union collapsed, like India never had to get an IMF loan. Um, India eventually like went in a, to a crisis and they had to open up their markets. We got the, then the West like ended up like astroturfing BJP people. And we have India where everyone's poor. Uh, we also have like a far right na- Hindu nationalist murderous pe- people in power all because the Soviet Union collapsed. Um, let's talk about other third world countries and what the Soviet Union meant for every uh, other third world countries. Um, you know, uh, the, the State Department, I'm going to read you a cable from the State Department about what the Soviet Union did in Afghanistan. Um, and um, so um, uh, uh, just hold on. Uh, let's see. Um, okay, uh, let's look at who they supported. Uh, in uh, do you think um, India would have gotten its independence without the Soviet Union? God no. Um, China would not have been freed without no. All these like decolonial colonial movements all happened thanks to the Soviet Union. Um, let's see. Uh, hold on. Let me give me one second. Um, yep, you're fine. Uh, um, okay. This is literally the State Department saying it. Um, what? Uh, uh, okay. So, um, given the power, given Afghanistan's poverty and backwardness, this revolutionary regime's goals would probably, in themselves, g- deserve genuine support from most quarters interesting in bettering the lot of the Afghan people, but we aren't. So, haha. Um, eh, okay. So, okay. So then the second uh, place. Okay. So I'll, I'll just go country by country. We'll, we'll go to. We'll come to the U.S. eventually. Let's see. Um. Okay, so the second thing that happened when the Soviet Union collapsed was that um, you, you, they tore down Yugoslavia brick by oh my god brick by brick. On top of it, um, you know what happened? Um, you think when the Soviet Union was around, they would have been able to? You know what that when they invaded Iraq. Uh, like I wrote an article about all the effects. Like the first thing they did was like they poisoned the water. Um, no. Um, Okay, so then all these third world countries, like they had a free for all in the corporations because there was no Soviet Union to resist this. That's the, uh, the that's like for the rest of the world. Like, in mm-hmm. fact, a popular meme in India is um, you, you're like, okay, a teacher asks you, where's Brazil? You point to it. Where's France? You point to it. Where's the Soviet Union? It's in my heart. 
um, like the Soviet Union industrial helped industrialize India. Like we have nothing but good things to say. Like in fact, one of the greatest uh, uh, when the British engineered a famine, um, Stalin literally said. Uh, basically, Molotov's like, oh yeah, India needs aid, and the U.S. wanted to do IMF, like shock doctrine, yeah. blah blah blah, you know yeah. the usual crap. Stalin actually redirected a commercial ship to give food to India, and he said, "Documents can wait, but hunger cannot." So oh, that's yeah. So that is the first thing, like um, India, China, Korea. Um, uh, so okay, okay. So then. Let's go to what happened to people in Russia. So, in fact, one old lady compared the capitalism to basically living under the siege of Leningrad, which is where the Nazis purposely starved oh. everyone in Leningrad. Um, child prostitution came back. Um, uh, um, let's... I think people lost weight at a rate that was uh, comparable to war. Literally, this lady said it was the, and then they committed suicide at an alarming rate. Alcoholism increased. Um, lots of horrible things. Uh, okay, and and actually, Russia is not so bad. I mean, Russia was able to kind of recover, but it gets worse in Ukraine, for example. Uh, oh my God, in Ukraine, they are poorer than they are in India, and one half of the people go hungry every single day. Even though Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe, because thanks to capitalism, it's more profitable to ex export all the food than to get, feed your own people. Um, so infuriating. On top of that, uh, let's not forget that Hillary Clinton, for example, she pushed fracking. And in fact, the reason why the Donbass area wanted to secede was that they didn't like their water tables were so fragile. Anyways, when they when these people protested fracking, the Ukrainian government responded by droning them. Um, and anyways, uh, so uh, the, a lot of the water is poisoned um, in these areas. Okay, so let, let, what about Uzbekistan? Uh, so they had this pro-West dictator who literally boiled people alive and anally raped them with the bottles. Um, uh Azerbaijan, um, everyone, uh, I have an interview with the Nazari, um, uh, and he explains like how uh, the oil revenues doesn't come down anymore and people are really, really struggling. I mean, and they're not so bad in Azerbaijan. But then in, I, I interviewed a Lithuanian dissident. You know how they talk about how people are oppressed in Belarus, blah, blah, blah. That's nothing compared to Lithuania. In Lithuania, basically, it's this one... Um, Baltic German family, and it sounds just as bad as it sounds, uh, um, who are basically like entirely fascist. And this man is a Jewish man, and he tore down a statue of um, of this like Nazi. And so the Lithuanian police arrested him and force fed him pork for this. Uh, and Jesus it's not Christ. Latvia. It's the same thing. Um, Latvia is used to have like a big industry. All of it got privatized and their populations are almost like declining Estonia. So all I mean, the worst ones, those are just like became like Nazi havens for capitalists and Nazis. Um, Let's see. Uh, actually, um, Kazakhstan's not so bad. I mean, they're having some relationship with China and Iran. And so they're struggling, but they've been able to hold their head above water. Uh, 
Tajikistan is now recovering uh, after about 30 years, barely. And again, it's thanks to like their deals with China, Iran, Syria, and Russia. Um, I think I, if I have forgotten any of the Soviet republics, I'm sorry, but I think I got went through. Oh, and Belarus is doing the best actually, uh, because uh, they kind of kept a socialistic system there. Uh, so yeah, um, if I forgot any, would, folks, you, would you say that um, fascism um, often replaces? Um, governments when socialism is um, defeated? Uh, well, 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 let's actually be careful about the passive tense here. So who did the U.S. use to overthrow these governments? For example, they had these uh, line of like OUN Ukrainian fascists there, and they were the only ones who are brutal enough to go commit all the atrocities needed to tear down an actual uh, true democracy. Lithuania, same thing. The Landbergists were complete fascists. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, all the, In Romania, when they did the coup against Taucescu, it was members of the Iron Guard. The Iron Guard literally hung children on meat hooks, and the U.S. was like, hey, we're going to arm them. And in Croatia, it was the Ustazi, and there was a genocide. So, it's not that fascism replaces it passively. It's because capitalists arm and fund and train and send over the fascists in order to like fascism's primary purpose is to destroy socialism. Like people don't understand that when Hitler came to power, his first speech in 1922 in the Nazi party's goal was to destroy Bolshevism. So fascism is there to destroy unions. Um, Mussolini, that's how he came. He came to destroy solidarity. Like he came with bl black shirts and they ended up killing, striking workers. So it's not a passive thing. It is an active thing. And you need somebody as gross and brutal as fascists in order to break the will of the people. Um, Indonesia, uh, the, I mean, it, it, even technically, I guess the US isn't fascist, but the Jakarta method is exactly what, was needed to break. The, it's really hard to do that otherwise. So they ended up like killing a million people. Like watch my TikToks on it. It's horrific. Mm -hmm. So it's not passive. It's no. active in that imperialist powers are, are put these fascists in power. It's not a passive thing at all. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it in America when they use the passive tense when they mean America. <laughs> yeah. Like Bush was like, Mistakes were made. No. <laughs> yeah, no. His that, that was his intent. His intent was invasion and murder. Um, mm -hmm. could you on Indian communism mm. and the workers' struggle in India? I saw that the um I, I, I had read somewhere that uh, during one general strike more 500 more people, million more people <laughs> were on strike 500 million people entire entire united states population 500 million people were on strike yes unreal yeah so um it's a little bit complicated because mm -hmm. uh, uh i mean there are the states that are doing the best in india are definitely Kerala and Bengal, who used to be uh, Bengal, uh, like who uh, are communists, like Kerala. So there is a lot of uh, it's a 
India is complicated is all I have to say. But the Communist Party is getting lots of good. Um, they do a lot of direct action. And there's also an area that's controlled by this Maoist called the Naxalites. And there are, I forget, three communist parties. And so, but the great thing is that they have been connecting the farmer protests because what Modi wanted to do was like, it, I, I, it's like a price control. Okay. So like, so farmers like uh, like were like every state set up these intermediaries so that farmers did not have to deal with like psychos like Walmart by themselves, right? Because Walmart's gonna be like, you're gonna get twenty cents for the tomato. I don't care. But when the state is an intermediary, like the farmers can't be pitted off against each other. They're coming as a block, and if the farmers want like. I don't know, uh, uh, 40 cents per tomato, they're going to get those 40 cents. Modi wanted to privatize those um, state, uh, whatever, agencies. And that's when the farmers um, revolted. And what you realize is that when the farmers go on strike, <laughs> you miss them a lot because uh, everyone goes hungry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite video is some news person asks ask him, is this a are you planning a revolt? It's like, no, sir, we're planning a revolution. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> he was so polite about it, too. Um, and they ended up blocking the streets of Delhi. And um, it's just like, and on top of it, like protests here are often look like spectacles. They're not, they're not logistically thought out here. They're just like going to being in public with signs. There they blocked the certain Delhi roads that made it hard. And then they like uh blockaded trains. They uh the best was like like crap that was made was not being able to ship that to the West and the mm -hmm. West started panicking. And so yeah um I, all I can say is I hope one day. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, yeah. I mean, it's it's a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. Just the images alone. Um, could you also maybe take a minute to speak on um, <laughs> South America's um, various socialist experiments and the way the U.S. has... Um, has worked to undermine them uh, every can, turn. Since I have ADHD, can you go one by one so I, did, I don't get lost in my thoughts? Um, specifically, I'm interested in um, the, the the current effects on Venezuela and Brazil. Okay, so let's start with Brazil. Um, I've done a bunch of episodes on this with Brian Mayer, and you should also interview him. But um, it, it, it was a judicial coup called Lava Jato, and they uh, basically ended up imprisoning all the whatever the PVT's people were for like mm -hmm. bullshit charges, and it, it was all engineered. And um, and basically, it was done so that uh, things everything can be privatized, and uh, um, and then that's how we got Bolsonaro. Um, Venezuela. It's nonstop. I mean, I don't know where to begin. Basically, the, it, it's just like a non... So there's this... Okay, the coups is just like not... I mean, it's a nonstop assassination attempt, coups, violence. Mm -hmm. uh, then there's the sanctions, which means that they can't get hard currency. So like if when is Okay, so when you're a colony, you're not food sovereign because they don't really care about feeding the people. They just want you to extract, extract, extract. 
So you can't just like magically like start growing like everything you need. Uh, like that's just not, not the way farm, uh, plants work. So they have to trade. But then for hard, because of the whole, the way the IMF, whatever, like they need hard currency. And the U.S. has literally like pirated Venezuelan uh, oil ships. They've um, blockaded them. They've, uh, they've, they've like saying, okay, the way the U.S. sanction works is that sometimes even companies who are willing to do business are scared of being in the long arm of the U.S. sanctions, so they won't do it. So this means that even though they have a lot of resources, it's been hard for them to get what they need, like medicine and um, other things, because the U.S. is blockading them. That, so, and that, and basically, when you read the, um, the the purpose is never like a dictator getting quote unquote alleged dictator. The purpose is to starve the people, kind of like doing the siege of Leningrad. In fact, that's what the State Department said in 1961, where they said something about Cuba being a threat of a good example, because um, I'm paraphrasing this, look this up, I've tweeted out, I've talked about this often, where they're like, if like Cuba succeeds, then all these like South American people will start demanding things like food, and uh, yeah. that's going to be a threat. Describe them as a domino effect, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they literally called Cuba a threat of a good example. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that that's Venezuela, Brazil. Oh, Bolivia. Um, I have written some articles. I'm still in the process of doing it, but a lot of people don't know is that the Obama government set up this like race war and, and tried to assassinate Evo Morales. And then there was this like massacre of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this video where these like poor, um, in, just because they had this new constitution, these like white, these actual Nazis as in, um, former Ustazi, like like people, Klaus Barbie's relatives, like yeah. not not like the colloquial Nazis, but Nazi Nazis. Um, they actually once like held a group of this like indigenous people at gunpoint and made them sing an allegiance to Jesus, which is like very, very, very offensive to them. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah, and they were crying, but they were all held at gunpoint where they, like, it, it was just horrific. Um, and um, in fact, it, uh, when they did the coup, uh, what's his name? Camacho? When he came into the presidential palace, he basically tore down uh, the Wipala and then said that Bolivia belongs to Jesus. But, um, but I guess Jesus disagrees. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so the indigenous, they tar- they, they've like had so much gratuitous violence against the indigenous people, but mm. even then, um, Bolivia like is so much better off. Like, in fact, I remember reading this, um, Washington post article saying that Evo Morales has been propped up by the low unemployment and extremely oh, economy. And it's oh. like. So Evo Morales is winning because he's an absolute Chad at his job. Oh, he's, he's making life better that bad. No, 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 you know, it's like something like he propped up by the uh, rising living standards and extreme low unemployment rates. And yeah. that's, that sounds oh like. Oh my God. That sounds I mean, they, like. They will just, they, they'll spend anything to yeah. be. <laughs> that sounds like he's being an absolute Chad. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, w- w- which country have I forgotten? Um, have I forget? Oh, Ecuador. They recently did a coup. Oh my god. Oh. 
Okay, if somebody's named Lennon and they act like Lennon Moreno, I think we need to pass a universal law that where we change their name to Tsar Nikolai or Kautsky. He's <laughs> 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 like, he defames the name. Your mom named you yeah. Lennon. Come on. Do better. Yes, you can't do it. Come on, just, yeah. We're we're kind of, we're coming up on time. I just um I want to thank you again for coming on. Um, you're always so knowledgeable and kind. I always learn something every time I talk to you. Um, could you speak on your current projects and where people can find you? Yes, of course. Go to historically.substack.com. Um, right now, I am finishing up. Um, I interviewed Dan Bo Bochner about this Canadian um, monument to the victims of communism. And it's just like, thankfully, <laughs> Hitler is not there, but they get pretty close. <laughs> uh... um, so that's coming up. And I'm writing an article, companion piece, about some of the um, victims that they've memorialized. I I have a long goal, and I don't even know if I... Uh, okay, so the first one, like, I've been, I need, I've been in the works with this, like, article about the coup against Evo Morales for about two years, but I've been having some blockages in getting some first... There, actually, this is hilarious. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, I was trying to do a freedom of information request with the State Department where you have to be very care careful and word it right. And I was like, have you ever funded a far right militia, blah, blah, blah. But instead of Bolivia, the country code for Bolivia, I entered the wrong country code, Belarus. And then six oh. months later, <laughs> they, they gave me the thing and I was laughing. I was like, whoa. Oh, wow. So you got you got you got some information from them. Yeah, but yeah, it's funny that they were also doing that in Belarus, and I was oh, like, geez. "What?" Um, but I, I finally got the information, and so I'm also talking to Ali Vargas, and hopefully we'll be able to interview some of the um, Potosi victims. So that's an article that's coming up, and I'm and this is like still a whisper of a dream. So my niece got this book about Kamala Harris as a superhero. And I was so mad that I was like, okay, we are going to be writing a book about Lenin because, oh my God. So that's another whisper of a dream. Oh, and I am learning Russian um, in order to do be able to do research about like the big whisper of a dream is doing something like the people's history, but for the Soviet Union. But I am, so that's why I've been learning Russian for almost a year now. And okay. um, uh, hopefully uh, it'll come along. Um, and yeah, so those are the projects that are coming along. Um, yeah, so, oh, oh, oh we also interviewed, uh, we also have a, a, a really cool episode about, with an anthropologist, Christopher Knight, where we kind of learn about a little bit about the history of human nature and how civilization okay. happened. And it's very, very, very interesting. Like that is interesting. it has a lot to do with them um, fire and um, singing. It's amazing. Um, 
and then so you and then another episode that we have um in the back room is uh, john dingus was the uh like when the pinochet coup happened he was the correspondent to in chile and he's writing he wrote another book about um operation condors so we're having okay. we're interviewing that so those are the big things um and um yeah i don't know what of course um we also start like a, a friend of mine who is chinese like really liked the idea of, of late nights with lenin so um and this is cool because it's really relaxing for me because i don't have to do anything other than read he does all the explaining so we every monday morning at 9 a.m we have monday we've had four episodes so far called mondays with mao excellent so what the, the advantage I've, of I've Mao is that he is um okay lenin wastes a lot of time trolling people with gratuitous insults like making fun yep. of people. so he's not the, he's the funnier path but mao is very good at explaining things and he's just straight up he doesn't like troll but that also makes him a little less interesting in that you're not laughing and you're not like finding all the kind of like oh lenin teaches you so many good insults to use on Washington Post that won't get you banned from Twitter. That's like my favorite. Like mm -hmm. Washington Post, like I would say something like their um, bourgeoisie magazine of mostly semi-literate articles. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. The Economist is still mad about Lenin. Who, 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 he said something like, they're the mouthpiece for British. They, they're the voice of British millionaires or something, and they're still mad. Wow. hundred, and it still pricks them even today. You can see this. No, I'm sure. Like oh, yeah, so whenever you you can get the best way to block, like you can it, it pricks them. You'll see this. Um. So, yeah, those are all what I'm working on. I guess. Um. I wish I could work on <laughs> more stuff, but uh, I need uh like to be able to like have more people to do it because I alone can't. So in order no, no. To, to help help us out, just uh, five I, bucks a month. Historically.substack.com. So sorry, sorry for the promo. so much time in the day. I appreciate your work though. Thank you. Um, and I love the way you are so patient. I love the way you explain things. And I really think that you guys as truckers need to write what is to be done in the 21st century and yeah go for it <laughs> okay well, um i that's most touching thing i've ever heard um thank you so much again for coming i'll get a hold of you later um have a nice night yep always bye 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 bye